I am going to uh, just speak for just very few minutes here uh, on what we talked about last week. If you look at the part that says review, and uh, this is number one here, I'm showing it on the overhead and also you have it in your hand. Everybody should have a copy of it right here, review. And uh, if, if you notice here, last week we learned of the, t the three time periods of the book of Revelation, three time periods, as is mentioned in the book of Revelation in the first chapter. And I'm referring here to Revelations 1.19. If you look at that very quickly, I'm only spending just a couple of minutes here on this, then I'm moving on. If you look at Revelations 1.19, this is what uh, John was instructed to do. And he says, write the things which thou hast seen. And we talked about how that house has seen is what he saw in this first chapter. And he talks about how the angel appeared to him, and the Lord appeared unto him, and in the midst of the golden candlesticks, and then the names that the golden candlesticks represented the seven churches of Asia and so forth. And then it goes on to say here, uh, and the things which are, and we talked about that being the seven churches of Asia, as they were called. We explained to you that Asia was actually Western Turkey in that period of time, not the Orient at all but it was Western Turkey, and it was seven churches that's located very close around uh, what's today Istanbul. It would be you know, not too far from there. And uh, Ephesus being one of them. And so this was the, uh, the churches that are mentioned there. And then it talks about, I'm gonna mention just a little bit about that here this morning before I move on. And uh, the seven churches were eight were also periods of churches. Now. And also in that 119, it says, write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, hereafter. And so what shall be hereafter is picked up in chapter four. If you want to look at that one very quickly, it simply says in verse one of chapter four of Revelation, this is where that part starts. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first angel, which I heard was as, as of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So this is where the things which must be hereafter begins in chapter four. Now, the reason that I am bringing this out is that it is from this point on that we're gonna have our major study in studying the book of Revelation and our subject that we are studying at this time, things coming on the earth. Another look at the book of Revelation. This is at the top of your page that you got. And this of course is lesson two. And uh, <clears throat> if you'll notice here that the part that we're gonna be looking at are those parts that has to do with chapters four and one on from there, forward one, especially when we get into chapter six and so forth, where it starts talking about things on the earth. Now. If you'll note, put the word note there in your, in your lessons there, the seven churches are also time periods of the church age. They're time periods of the church age. Let me, uh, let me give you a chart here. This is, uh, this is the uh, timeline. Let me back off here a little bit where you can see it. And I know you don't have a handout on this. A little bit more, there we go. This is the timeline that we're talking about 
And if you look at this very quickly here with us, most of you are familiar with it because I show it often to give you a view of the whole world, what's called man today on the face of the earth. It starts with Adam, the first man, and the Old Testament here is a period of 4,000 years, and it goes to Calvary, or the coming of Jesus. Uh, the Old Testament is a period of about 4,000 years, B.C. A.D., you know, B.C. is before Christ. So this is all B.C. periods of time. The flood was along about here, and uh, Abraham's time was about here. Abraham was, so he's about middle ways, 2,000 to Abraham, 2,000 afterwards. All were Gentiles to here, and then from Abraham's time was the Jewish race, as we call them, they, even though the word Jew comes from uh, one of the 12 sons of uh, Jacob. Anyhow, it goes to the Calvary here. And then, of course, Moses here is 500 years later, 1,500 years before Christ, and it was given the law and so forth. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out, I want to get to this right here. Here is what John saw right here. This is those seven golden candlesticks, and this seven golden candlesticks represents the church age. That's only an emblem here that represents it because when God showed John in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, when he showed him those seven churches, uh, these churches literally existed. And they existed at that time. The problems they had were literal and they were, they were real. It also represented periods of time in the entire church age. In other words, whenever he talked about uh, certain churches, the Ephesus being the first one, Laodicea being the last one to be here. So this is church age where periods of time. Now I'm gonna give you a, a chart here showing you that. This is sort of a rerun a little bit of last week, or maybe a little bit more extensive. And this is the church age uh, giving you sort of an overview here of what that all represented. So we know that the Lord did not just write the book of Revelation to those seven churches only and it doesn't apply to nobody else. So it's got to apply to all of us because it's telling us of the things that's coming on the earth, the things that are coming hereafter, and it's for Christians everywhere. Now this is Ephesus, uh, this is uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Each one of these churches had their faults, their drawbacks, their problems. And except Philadelphia here, this is why the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was named, they were named after this church actually in the Bible by men who were God-fearing men and who were Bible believers. And Philadelphia was that perfect church that had no problems. It had problems only that it was so very weak, very, very weak, it had not much going for it but it was truth and the Lord said, I'll not require anything else of you, just survive, make it through it and, and we'll all be happy over that. But anyhow, uh, he mentioned about these. This is an interesting one here. This is where there should be 10 days of persecution says in the Bible. And whenever you study this period of time here, there were 10 periods of persecution under the old Roman empire that the early church went through, 10 periods, 10. Uh, under 10 uh, of those emperors, starting with Nero and going right on down to Domitian. And so anyhow, this all lines up perfectly. All of these line up perfectly. And until we come down then to the, to the last one, which is the Laodicean church, the Laodicean church. Now, 
Everybody have your Bibles, or if you don't, we'll look on the screen overhead with us. I want you to turn to uh, these, these seven churches are all brought out in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, and they're referred to as things that are. In other words, things that are presently existing. And so these churches were presently existing at the time, at that time, and in the sense that they are now uh, periods of time, they are still in existence in that sense of the word. Now, I want you to look at uh, Revelations chapter 3. I'm going to jump very quickly to the last church, and I want to talk about that because if you'll notice in your notes that I've just handed out to you here, it will tell you that the, uh, the last one here is the one that has the weird, 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 that we're interested in. Uh, and it's, it's the uh, church that deals with our period of time. Uh, all right look at uh, chapter I'm looking on the chart here uh, that's where it says note seven, seven churches are time periods of the church age making the last church Laodicea our time period of the church age because it will be right on up until the coming of the Lord or the rapture of the church the rapture of the church and the coming of the Lord is the same as far as we're as the church is concerned. The word rapture, did you know, is not in the Bible? It's not even in the Bible. Uh, the word rapture is a word that's sort of been added uh, to describe it, but it means the Lord coming back for his church. And uh, I'm going to read here in verse 14 of chapter 3 of Revelation. 3 and 14. Now look at this very closely. Everybody with me? This is the last church, and this is our time period, our day, our age. It started out here with uh, the latter rain movement, which happened around 1900. The Lord began to pour out the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And we know that it's, it's, it's history. It's all over the world. It happened all over the world, starting in America, and then spread all over the world, and started happening all over America. Uh, when you study that period of time, it is remarkable. They had such a revival in Scotland where that they had coal miners that would go in the coal miners and they would, you know, get coal and so forth. And these men would come out of those, uh, out of those coal mines and everything. They had horses that they would use to pull the carts and they'd curse them, curse at those animals. And those animals under, understood curse words because that meant giddy up or, or, or woe or whatever it was. And when these men got saved, those animals did not understand what they were saying. This is history. This is history. It's really real history. And these animals did not understand what these coal miners were saying when they got saved. It's such a revival. And they all began to get saved. And they had to turn these wonderful donkeys and mules out into the pasture and get new ones to bring them in and retrain them to, say, to know how to say woe and giddy up and all those kind of things. And that's all in church history. But I'm just telling you what a great revival they had. And we, we know about America, a tremendous revival. Azusa Street, you know, you've heard all about it. I won't go into detail on that. But that was a revival that we had. And then we had the, the deity of Jesus was revealed. That is that Jesus Christ was God Almighty manifest in flesh. And that's what's being understood now. And I don't know whether you know or not, but many of our missionaries on the foreign fields are rebaptizing people over there in the name of Jesus that are Christians, but they've never been baptized in Jesus' name. 
And they're understanding now that Jesus was the mighty God in Christ on, on earth. He was just God is one. There's no other beside him. And we won't get into that because that's a Bible study within itself. Or that's a whole series of Bible studies within itself. And then finally, the last day of the church now. Look, to, look at what I'm reading here, verse 14. And unto the church of the, the angel of the church of Laodicea is right. These things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. Now, when I read this, folks, I want you to think about ourselves. I know that there are neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. And this is sort of like when you're drinking something. You, you either want hot coffee or you want cold iced tea, right? You know, I'm just using those for a couple of drinks. You either want something cold or hot, something lukewarm. If it's supposed to be coffee, you don't like it. If it's supposed to be iced tea or something cold, cold drink, you don't like it. So he says, I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods. Does that sound like some of us? I don't mean some of us. I mean America is what I'm talking about. Does that sound like America? I am rich, increase with goods, and have no and need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this is how our spiritual condition can be whenever our natural condition appears to be sumptuous. Now, I'm only saying that because this is what we can get into in our day and time, and we have to be very prayerful. This is our battle, folks, is not to get carnal, not to get lukewarm, not to get indifferent. Now, this, uh, this virus thing, this uh, uh, COVID-19 is, is supposed to be subsiding some now, and we can start coming back to church, and I thank God for that and everything. Can I just also say this is a time that we should start doing that. I know our ushers and people are going to make sure that we don't get too crowded and make us keep our distance and all those kind of things. So they'll be helping us with that. But we need to be in the house of the Lord. We need to hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can we hear lest that be a preacher? We need to hear the word of God preached. There's nothing that takes his place. I know we've been seeing some preaching on the TV and thank God that our pastor has helped us and led us through uh, those days and with that kind of a presentation of the gospel to us. I appreciate it. But nothing takes the place of being assembled together uh, as the matter, as we are. The Bible says, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, some people just said, oh, I don't want to go to church. Now, I know people can be in bad health. I know they can have health situations. I know some people stay home to, because they have something they don't want to give to somebody else, and I can appreciate that. And I know also that uh, there's people who are elderly and they can't make it or whatever it is. And I know there's things like that. But we who can come to the house of God, let's make it a plan. Let's make it a purpose. Sometimes we can have jobs that will keep us from home. I'll keep up some church, I'm sorry. Maybe sometimes we can have circumstances that arise that are more important to us than being in the house of God. 
We have to be very careful about company coming. Oh, come on in. We're so glad to see you. Oh, we're on our way to church, but forget it. We can stay here with you. Like that. Just have it in your heart. We're going to church. We're going to church. And you have to fight for that. You have to fight to do that. And so I'm just telling you here today, to let's have a purpose in our heart to be in the house of God because it is there that we feel the presence, the power, the spirit of God. So uh, he goes on to say here that uh, we, are, we can become wretched and miserable and blind and poor because we become lukewarm in our spirituality. And we're not on fire for God like God would have us to be. Everybody with me? Do you understand what we're saying? Now here's what he winds this up by saying. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment. White raiment is the apparel of the bride. Let me just say that. So we want to be in white raiment as, as this is a symbolic term of that. We'll look at that a little later on. Uh, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyes sad that thy mayest see. And verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door. I will come in unto him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh and to every one of the churches every one of them, that statement is made to him that overcometh. So our battle is overcoming the things of this world, overcoming sin, overcoming temptations, overcoming laziness, lethargy, indifference, all those things to say, God, I've come to the house of God to worship you. And when you come to the house of God, don't mess with your cell phone. Can you hear me okay? I said that softly. Don't mess with your cell phone and don't mess with your checkbook and don't write notes to each other. If you happen to be, you know, all right, I'm just trying to say, come to the house of God to worship the Lord. And you may not, you may feel lower than a gnat's heel, but if you will come into the house of God and say, Jesus, I'm here to worship you and I'm not going to do anything but worship and honor you. And if you just slip those hands up, you may feel like you just don't feel like lifting your hands. Not today, but you do it anyhow. You just lift your hands, get them up there and say, Jesus, if nothing else, you're going to just say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. God, you've been so good to me, to my family, to my home in every kind of way. And start naming the ways God's been good to you. Name the things he's given you, what all you have, your home, your family, your the automobile you drive, the job you have, the clothes you wear, amen, the shoes you have on your feet. Some places they don't have shoes. You know, I'm just saying we have a lot to be thankful for. And it's not a time to say, oh, well, we just sort of enjoy the comforts of our life in this America that we live in because God wants us to be mindful that we, praise the Lord, are in this period of time that we can become very uh, lazy in these things. All right. Praise the Lord. So we are in those seven churches of time and uh, sort of giving you this chart here for a timeline. Now, <clears throat> look at number two there on your chart, the one that I gave you there. I'll take these both away. We're back to this one. Look at number two. The rapture will be the next major spiritual event. It will, it will 
precede the tribulation period that's coming on the earth. The rapture will be the next spiritual. In other words, the church age here is telling us where we are now. And uh, if I could show you that timeline again, let me just show this. To, uh, and this is, this is the rapture of the church right here. This is just you know, simple drawing here on the computer. This is the church age from Jesus pouring out. Incidentally, today is the Pentecost Sunday. And this represents the day of Pentecost, not represents, it follows along with it. The day of Pentecost is, uh, is a regular tra tra a Jewish traditional holiday. And uh, it's Pentecost Sunday when the Holy Ghost was first poured out on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. 50, and it means 50 days after the Passover is what it means. And it was a feast day of the Jews in the Old Testament. And it was the Lord poured out the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And from that time on, the church was established in Acts chapter 2. And I won't get into that. But here we are now down here toward the end. And if I could pinpoint us, we'd be right about here. Can you see that? We're just before the coming of the Lord, just before the rapture of the church, and the Lord's coming is very soon. And uh, let me show you uh, one other thing here. I want you to go, you say, Brother Mars, how do you know that we're, we're right there? I mean, what, how do you know? It's, you know? All right, I want you to look at a scripture with me in, in Hosea 6.2. <coughs> Excuse me. Hosea 6.2, and uh, let me show you this for a moment. Everybody there? All right. After two days will he revive us, us being Israel. The Lord's speaking about Israel. After two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. Well, what does that mean, Brother Myers? Well, it probably doesn't mean anything to us unless we look over in Second Peter, for instance, and tie that in with Second Peter 3 and 8. That is uh, in your notes there. Hosea 6, 2 here. I'm sorry. Well, you got it on your paper there. Hosea 6, 2. And then Second Peter 3, 8. I've got two charts there, and I don't want to remove the other one yet. And it goes on to say here in Second Peter 3, 8, it says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Everybody see that? So when that scripture says, you know, that we're looking at it in Hosea 6, 2, it says, after two days, he will revive us. Now, we know Israel has not been revived in two days. We know that it has been nearly it's been 2000 years. This is 20, uh, this all happened in 70 AD. Jesus is last, we were crucified in third, around 30 AD. Uh, 70 AD happened whenever the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, scattered the Jews all over the world. They've been scattered ever since. So here we are in 2020. We're sort of like in the 20, the, the third millennium now, the third day we can say like, and so the day with the Lord is as a thousand years, not precisely, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And so we know that we're getting close to the coming of the Lord because of that scripture. And then Peter says a day with God is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. Here's another scripture that says for the same thing in Psalms 90 and four, for a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. In other words, a period of time means nothing with God. And so when the Bible here says after two days and third day, I'll raise her up. That's speaking about Israel raising her up. 
And so Israel is scattered. God will raise her up. That all starts in Revelation chapter 11. When we get there, we'll be talking about it. So this period of time here, raising them up, goes even into the tribulation period. So the rapture has to happen pretty soon. As we're very close to it, the coming of the Lord. And so we know then it's been right at 2,000 years, uh, about to where we are now. And it's simply time for the Lord to come. Everybody say praise the Lord. How many of you love the Lord? Amen. Amen. You want to go in the rapture, I know you do. If you don't, shame on you. <laughs> you don't want to be here. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. Praise the Lord. The, the rapture will be the next major spiritual event, and it will precede the tribulation period. See handout. You got your handouts yet? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the next one. Next handout. Praise the Lord. Second one. Matt Mason is coming. Elders, uh, brush it, uh, elders, brethren. Uh, ushers and, and, and brethren says brushers. <laughs> I am talking a little fast here. I just want to, you'll hand those out very quickly here. And this is what we're going to be showing you now on the overhead. I'm tying some uh, ends together here. Let me uh, put this up here. This is chart number two. Put you up a little higher. And let's, let's go the other way. There we go. Now that's what you have in your hand now. Everybody see that? Praise God. The scriptures teach that the church is not appointed to wrath. This is the first thing I want to be. Why the rapture will be a pre-tribulation event. That's what you've got in your hands now. This is the second hand now. Why it will happen before the tribulation period. Because what we're going to be studying in the book of Revelation is the tribulation period coming on the earth. And I just want to say to everybody here this morning, you don't want to miss the rapture. Amen. That's what this is all about. Don't miss the rapture. Because what we start, when we start showing you what's coming in the tribulation period, it is bad, it is scary, it is devastating. And the Bible says that it will come to pass and it will happen. But I'm letting you know that the rapture takes place before it. And here are some reasons that we know that the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. Now, there's some uh, people who believe that it will happen uh, in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe that it will happen at the end of the tribulation. But it does, those beliefs do, do not line up with the scriptures. So I'm giving you scriptures here so you'll understand that the rapture is the next major event. That's why you, you want to be ready. And the scriptures that I'm using here to start with here, the, the scriptures teach that the church will not uh, be appointed to wrath, that the church is not appointed to wrath. And look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. If you look in that scripture with us in your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And it simply states very clearly, very plainly, where is our scriptures? Somebody. I ask for them to be able to show me the scriptures over here. Yeah, there we go. 
Let this be our scripture chart over here. And this will be our chart, chart on the screen. Okay. Uh, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not appointed us to wrath. Remember, we're the church. God has not appointed us to wrath. And then to go along with that, if you'll back up to uh, the first chapter, I believe it is, of Thessalonians, is 1.10. First Thessalonians 1.10. And it says something very similar to that. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Which means that that wrath to come is what you're looking at in the book of Revelation. God has promised to deliver us from that. We've been spared that. Along with that, look also in Romans 5, 9. I'm giving you scriptures because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three scriptures, in the mouth of... <coughs> In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if you look with us in Romans chapter 5 and 9. Romans 5, 9, thank you. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Saved from the wrath through him. And then to tie all that together, look in Revelations chapter 6. This is where the wrath begins to be poured out. And I'm going to show you that that tribulation period is that wrath is being mentioned. So if you look in uh, Revelations chapter 6 and verse 17, as simply as a reference here, we're not into this Revelation 6 yet, but look in 617. This is whenever the judgments begin to fall. And here's what it says in that last verse in that sixth chapter of Revelation. For the great day of his wrath is come and who, who shall be able to stand? So the Bible says God has promised to save us from wrath. He's not, he's not committed us to wrath, and uh, we are not the people of his wrath. So when you start reading, reading about the wrath of God in chapter 6, you, we understand then that it is not talking about the church. The church will have already been raptured and caught away. Now, I want you to look in your notes that I just handed out to you, that last paper, the uh, number 2. The days prior to the coming of the Lord are described by Jesus as being similar to Noah's day prior to the flood. All right? And uh, if you look at your notes there and in your hand, and I'm reading it here, this is what it says. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. This is the way it describes the period of time before the flood. This is found in Matthew 24, 38. I won't have us go there and read that. You can do it sometime when you have the paper in your hand and the, and the note reference. It tells you probably a little bit more about it. But in reference, it simply says they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, it was just an average, everyday time of life that anybody can be experiencing very much like we are right now. And when you read the book of Revelation in chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 8, even all these others, it is the world being turned upside down with devastations, judgments, and trials, and things coming on the earth that you can hardly imagine would ever happen to this earth, but it's coming. Those things will be happening during the tribulation. Those are not just ordinary, everyday, common things. So what we are seeing today is the condition that the world will be in when Jesus comes, which means Jesus could come right now. He could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. There's nothing that holds the Lord from coming back right now. And I think we all have to be ready. That's why, folks, you don't want to play around with God. 
don't get careless with your salvation. And if you have loved ones and friends, encourage them to get close to God, to come to church, to uh, come with you and pray with them or do whatever you can to help them because there are going to be people saved in these last days. Praise the Lord. But we don't know how long those last days are going to be. They may be very short because Jesus could come anytime and there's nothing that's preventing him from coming back. Amen. So uh, the Bible teaches that. Now I'm going to move on a little further here. It mentions here about Noah and then in that same number two paragraph I have, uh, it says, this doesn't fit the description of tribulation. It also, look at the word also, the days of Lot. Everybody see that? Prior to God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. That's what it says in Luke 17, 28 about Lot's day. And whenever the Lot was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you remember the angels came there, visited them and said, come on, Lot and his family, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Two daughters and, uh, and uh, his wife. And they all got out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And whenever they were going away from it, fire judgment fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed it. But in that day, up until that time, everything was normal. They were, and it says it right here in the Bible. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. It was early in the morning. Probably there's some caravan of, of uh, camels loaded down with stuff headed out across the desert. They're all walking through the streets on their way out. Go, go trade someplace. Everyday life. And all of a sudden judgment came and it fell. And Lot and his family were delivered. Of course, we all know about Lot's wife because her heart was back in the city. And the, and the angel said, don't even look back, just keep going. She turned and looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. And then probably the second smallest verse in the Bible says, remember Lot's wife. The smallest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. But the next, the smallest one is remember Lot's wife. Don't have a, so much a love in the world that you got to keep looking back, folks. Lord's coming soon. Hallelujah. Keep looking up. You never know when the Lord's coming. Amen. All right. So the Lord gives us that. And that's number two here. It will be just an everyday time like we are having now. And the church is not appointed wrath. Now I go to number three here on your, on your chart. The obvious lessons taught here by Jesus is that God delivers his people before he unleashes judgment on a place, not during or after. And examples of this are, and I give three examples here. One is the one that happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD, whenever the Romans came down against Jerusalem. Jesus had warned them. I'm going to have you turn to that verse. Look at Luke 21, 20. Luke 21, 20, if you look in that verse of scripture with us. 21, 20. This is where Jesus is talking about these judgments coming, about the, the, uh, the fall of Jerusalem and the Jews being scattered in the world. When you shall see Jerusalem compass with armies, then know, this is Jesus talking in 30 AD. Then know that the desolations thereof is nigh now notice that when you shall see Jerusalem combat with armies, then know that the desolations are of a night. And he's talking about desolations that's spoken of by Daniel way back over in the book of Daniel and other scriptures as well. Look at verse 22, uh, 21. I'm in Luke 21 now, verse 21. 
Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. <coughs> Excuse me. And let them which are in the midst of it depart out. And let not them that are in the countries thereunto they enter thereunto. Verse 22, for these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And I won't go with, and it goes on to say in verse 23, the end of verse 23, this shall be a great distress in the land and wrath upon this people, speaking of the Jewish people. Now, that happened. In other words, Jesus spoke about this around 30 AD, then he was crucified. And 40 years later, 70 AD, the Romans came down. And when the Christians saw the Roman armies coming, just like Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation is not. When they started seeing this, they, James was, was, uh, was crucified or killed, I think. It was, I forgot how he was. I don't think he was crucified, but he was martyred. James, who was the brother of Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph, and he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem at that time in 780. In 68 AD, I think 60, 68 AD, I can't remember exactly what date, he was killed. He was martyred. And those Christians said, okay, it's time to get out of here. They started moving out of Jerusalem. And then when the armies came down, they all got out of there because they said, Jesus said, when you see that, get out. They went to a city called Pella. Pella was like uh, about, it's about 25 miles south, of, just, just east of the Jordan River, about 25 miles south of the Sea of Galilee. It's on the Jordanian, what's Jordan today. Jordan. So on that side, it's called Pella. The Christians all went there. And when those Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem in 70 AD, with Titus and his armies, no Christians were in Jerusalem. And there were thousands of them that had been, you know, saved and filled with the Holy Ghost there in Jerusalem that were Jews. And they went, that's where they went. So do you understand here that they simply did what Jesus said and they got out of that place because the Lord told them to. And so the Lord said, when you see all these things happen. Now, here's another example here. I learned this when I was on a tour over there in Pompeii. Look at B, the fleeing Christians from Pompeii in 79 AD. 79 AD, Pompeii, the city of Pompeii, was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius, who blew the top, and the ashes and the, and the volcano came down and hit Pompeii. And it literally killed the people instantly and froze them in the, not frozen with cold, but frozen with heat and covered them with this, uh, this lava and stuff in the, in, the, in the condition that they were in. The guy told us there were no Christians in Pompeii, even though there had been Christians and we have evidence they had been Christians. They were no Christians and we don't know why. And, and I, I wanted to say to raise my hand among all those people, I know why. God showed them. God showed them. Praise the Lord. He, he let them out because he knew a judgment was coming. So no Christians were found in Pompeii when that judgment came because they found all the evidence of sin galore. I won't get into that part of it. Folks, sin like you wouldn't believe. Homosexuality overrun with it. And, uh, and just prostitution and everything. Pompeii was a wicked city and God simply destroyed it. But the Christians who had been there trying to work the gospel and get people saved, get people out of that stuff, uh, they eventually fled before that all happened. Everybody say praise the Lord. Here's another example. Now I know this one firsthand. This is C, the saving of the Christians in Indonesia in December 2004. 
I was just 16 years ago when the tsunami, uh, when they went into the mountains to celebrate Christmas. Here's what happened, and I know this because we had been on a cruise ship, and one of the guys working on the cruise ship that had been our waiter, began, we began to talk to him, where you're from, blah, blah, and he said, I'm a Christian, I'm in Indonesia, but Indonesia is mostly Muslim. He said, there's a lot, there's a lot of Christians there, but we are very, uh, we're very, we're uh, very, uh, limited on what we can do and they tolerate us as long as we don't cross the boundaries. My daughter, son-in-law Jonathan, uh, that young man was coming into port in Cape Canaveral on the cruise ship later and he was going to come to church here with them and something came up and they had to leave earlier than they thought and he had to go back to the ship and get ready to leave and he was unable to come but they were going to bring him to church. And so that was later on. Later on, I was on another cruise ship and these Christians were there on the, and, and, and I went to one of their services. You know, when everybody else is asleep at two o'clock in the morning, you go to one of their church services. And I went to one of their church services and uh, was talking to them. I said, uh, you know about so-and-so? Yo, yeah, we know him, we know him. Did, did he get wiped out by that tsunami over there? And they said, no, did you hear what happened? I said, no. And they said, what happened was the Christians in December always have to go up into the mountains to worship because the Muslim will not let them have Christmas in a normal way. So they go up into the mountains to be able to get away at Christmas time so they can have their Christmas and worship Christ and honor the Lord's birthday and so forth in that fashion. And it was during that period of time that the tsunami hit and hit all the lowlands and killed, uh, what, 200 was it 200, 300,000 people it wiped out, but no Christians died. Isn't that amazing that God let it happen during that period of time? And this young man, they said, still living. Now, I, I never, never, I haven't seen him, but that, I mean, that's been a long time ago now. But I'm just trying to say here that hearing that firsthand, and then later I did read about it some, but you didn't see it on the news, the big news. You know, all these Christians were spared. All we saw was that there were thousands of people that were wiped out. Everybody say praise the Lord. God looks out for his own. And then, of course, it goes on to say here, I'm going to move on very quick because my time is gone. Uh, number five, uh, number four here, the church appears to have been in heaven in symbolic terms of the four and 20 elders as described in Revelations 5, 8, and 9. They are referred to as having golden vials full of odors, fragrances, which are prayers of saints. And their song states that they were slain and redeemed by the Lord by the blood of the kindred tongue and nation and people. And that's in Revelations chapter <coughs> 5, 8, and 9. And our time is gone. I don't have time to go any further. We're going to pick up where we are here and then have a, a lesson. We're going to get into some things next week, folks, that you are going to really like. Don't miss any of this. I'm going to really share some things with you. I've got some things I'm reading, things coming on the earth. I got some papers coming out of Washington, D.C. I'm going to share with you. You don't want to miss any of them. And uh, God love you. And God is going to look after his church. The last thing I want to say is be ready to go when Jesus comes because we don't know when he's coming. And that early church felt that way very much. Praise God. Let's all stand together and let's give God the praise and glory and let's pray for this next session of our church services coming up. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.